All right, so last week we looked over how God desires to bless us in every way, financially, emotionally, in our relationships, every way. If you read through the Bible, there's not an area of your life that God has left to the side and said, but this area over here, that one can stink. You know, <laughs> no, he really wants your life to be blessed, but we have to cooperate with his plan, his purposes, with his word in order to walk in those blessings. I mentioned how our soul prosperity is a factor in our financial prosperity. And another three that we looked at last week, he said, you're under curse because you're not giving your tithes and your offerings, isn't it? So we need to look at both. He said, return to me and I'll return to you. And God, God told them they were robbing him 2%, 5%, 8% or whatever. It's uh, God leads you. Uh, by the Holy Spirit on what to give. And we have to be careful because you can actually give too much. You can actually give, I, I, I'll give testimony about it later, you can actually give out of fear. You can actually give to get. You can actually give all these wrong motives. And even then I think God will still honor your gift and return it to you somehow because he's just that good. But we can actually give more than he's asking you to do. And you think you're being led by the Holy Spirit, you can actually be led, being led by guilt or led by uh, guilt trips and condemnations or manipulative type people. And uh, you have to really listen to the Lord and what he wants you to do. Amen? But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The word there, bountifully, can also be used blessed. He who sows blessed or blessings will also reap blessings. Okay, next verse. So let each one give as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Next. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Verse 9. As it is, and as is written, He is dispersed abroad, He is given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Next. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Next one. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Okay, so we're going to go back and look at these verses, not all of them, but a few of them we're going to pull out and look at them again, beginning with verse 6. It says, But I, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Predetermined by God and his sovereignty, and that this is what you're going to get. You're just, that's the lot in life you're born with. Uh, that's not what this says, is it? If you, if you sow cheaply, <laughs> you're going to reap cheaply. If you sow bountifully, generously, you're going to reap generously. So our blessings are measured back to us in accordance with our giving. Right? Okay? Uh, so some, peop some people don't like that because they think uh, they don't like to give. So they don't like those verses. But uh, both our tithes and offerings, this is taught according to how you... God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. This works in the positive and the negative. You reap corruption, the Bible says you'll, you sow corruption, you're going to reap corruption. You sow the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. You sow the, sow the spirit, you're going to reap of the spirit. You sow money, you're going to receive money. You sow, it's just like a garden, you know, you don't plant, uh, you know, peas and expect you're going to have corn. You're going to reap what, you, what you've sown. Amen? So that verse can scare you, but it should encourage you because you know it accidentally grow up some kind of evil-looking thing when you planted good things. Amen? So uh, verse 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now I want to read this to you guys in the Passion Translation. 
It says, yes, I, I don't have this one on the screen, you just have to listen. Um, yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment and in every way. He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. Now the word everything in that verse that Paul uses is the Greek word antarika, and it is found in classical Greek writings, and it literally means independently wealthy, needing nothing. The context of this whole thing is money. All right? The context of this whole chapter, I remember right, is about giving, is about money. And he's saying here, God can cause you the grace to come upon your life so you can abound in everything. You always have more than enough sufficiency. It says to make you independently wealthy, needing nothing. Now, people love that part of it, okay? And our hearts can grasp onto that part of it because everyone likes the thought of more money. If you don't like the thought of more money, you're a moron. <laughs> I was saying, moron, you need moron. There's something wrong. We, you need money to live, all right? And more is good, all right? More is good. It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's when your heart loves that money more than it loves God or loves people, there's something wrong with your heart. But money, you need money to be an influence. You need money to pay your bills. You need money to bless your children and to bless your children's children. The, the Bible says where we're supposed to give, uh, uh, give, give money to our children's children. It says to give on all occasions without finding fault. Man, that's a really hard verse. I find fault in my bank account and I find fault in uh, the person sometimes. I don't want to give to them or whatever the thing is. But uh, God wants you to have more than enough, all sufficiency at all seasons, right? But how do we get there? It's through obedience. Okay, and it can't, be, it can't be guilt trips. If you're giving like I have done in the past, it doesn't make sure nothing bad happened in my life, that's giving out of fear. It's not giving out of relationship. It has to flow through love. That's going to be the filter of your giving is going to be love. If you can't give it right then, hold on to it until you can give it in love. Amen? Until you can give it in joy, a joyful giver. If you can't give it yet, you're still grudgingly holding on to it, hold on to it. Don't give it yet. Okay, God's not got a match under your behind saying, do this now or I'm going to light you up like a stick of dynamite. You, know, you can take your time. You don't have to, you get so much pressure sometimes put on on TV and other things. But give now, give now. You give $137 now. And, you know, and I'm not saying all that's fake. I, I actually know someone who was actually healed when they gave that exact amount that was given. They were actually healed because God told them to do it. But if you copy what, that idea just because it worked for somebody else, it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Amen. And I'll mention more about that in a minute. So, verse 10, I'm going back to our main text in 2 Corinthians. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So, notice God only provides uh, money for you to buy food and to eat the food, but he also, part of the money that he gives you is for seed. Okay? And that seed's not blessed until it's given. The seed's not multiplied until it's given. If you eat the seed, there's no multiplication. He didn't multiply the, the bread. He multiplied the, the supply and multiplied the seed you have sown. Seed you have sown. Not your neighbor, not your mom and dad. The seed you've sown, he's going to multiply that seed just like he does in your garden. Right? You plant a seed, but you don't reap a seed. You reap a plant or a tree the money's going to. And, uh, and that's who the, your gift is going to. But he will take that seed and multiply it. And it's the principle all through the Bible. It's all through the Old Testament. It's all through the New Testament that God wants to bring increase into our lives. But it works when we cooperate with him. Amen? If we do it our way, if we're living out of fear, like, I can't afford to give that. I'm going to say you might not be able to afford not to. 
Do you want to see change in your finances? Do you want to see change in life? Then you have to submit your finances to God and say, God, this is your money. This is your stuff. Move to Africa tomorrow. I praise God, hope to God that never happens, but <laughs> that's how she checks her heart. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's how she checks it. It's like, can I do it? And do I love some stuff in my house more than I love you? And uh, that's something we, get, we need to check our hearts on that because money has a way of, of gripping our hearts in a way like I don't know of anything else that really does quite like that. Because there's pressure sometimes of money. There's pressure when the bills come if you don't have enough. There's pressure from people or trying to keep up with the Joneses or keep up with influence or how you look in the community and stuff like that. And most of that pressure is coming from you, not from God. I got to have this. I got to have that. But who says you got to have this and that? All right? Uh, one of the biggest problems I see young couples make is they, is they try to live up to the level uh, their parents were at when they're first getting married. All right, so they start, the parents have been married for 20 years, 25 years, whatever, and they go off and get married, and they try to live at that level their parents have achieved over 25 years on day one. And what do they do? They get themselves into major debt. They get credit card bills and stuff, this pressure in life, and that can totally ruin their whole marriage. It can destroy it. You're not, you're not intended to start at year 25. You're intended to start at year one. So don't live above your means, right? You've got to live where you're at, and you'll grow into that. It's the principle God teaches us, but we had a guy we went to school with that was married one year. This couple, or our neighbors when Holly was in college, they had over $100,000. You can get the couch with a half-broken back on it for a while, and you'll still survive. We had a girl come and sat on our couch. <laughs> she just had a chiropractic adjustment, and when she left, she had to go back for another one. Because <laughs> she sat right on the crack of that thing, and the, the, the wood cracked, and I think her back cracked some too. And uh, it was not the best couch, but it was what we had. And we had what we had. And you know what? You need to thank God for what you have. And not go into debt to increase to try to look good to somebody else. Who are we trying to look good for anyway? Be who you are, where you are, and let God in bring the increase to your life. He's the one that's going to multiply the seed that was sown. Right? We can't multiply that. So we have to really submit and, and just use some wisdom when it comes to giving and how we spend our money. So, uh, so how much are we supposed to give? What's the balance here? So uh, when it comes to offering, I said this a minute ago, there's no predetermined set amount. You have to give this much money as an offering to the missionary or to whoever. We're supposed to be led by the Lord. But, um, but it's different for everyone. Like for the rich young ruler, Jesus asked him to give everything, didn't he? Why? Because he loved money. It wasn't because Jesus needed all of his stuff. He didn't say, give it to my ministry. He said, go sell all your stuff, give it to the poor. And he was trying to do something in his heart. Do you think God would have brought that stuff back to him if he would have trusted God with it? Probably more than that, right? But uh, the, the others, the widow who gave her, two, her last two pennies to live on, doesn't say God asked her to do it. Maybe he did. We don't know. But the last two pennies she had to live on, she gave it in the offering plate. And Jesus said she gave more than everybody else. Right? So it isn't, isn't set in stone that you give this amount or that amount. But sometimes God's going to ask you for an extravagant gift. Sometimes. It, it, you look in the Bible, there's, there's times that they gave and it, was, it scared them. It was tough. I remember hearing this story from, uh, it was uh, Robert Morris, that teaching that I was listening to. And uh, they were talking about giving. And th this little girl asked, well, how, how do I know what I'm supposed to give? And she, the mother said, well, just listen and ask God. So she in the car, they're driving, and he closed her eyes and has her hand like this. Go, what do you want me to give to you? And she, and all of a sudden she goes, what? What? <laughs> you want me to give Dolly? That's my favorite doll. I just got that one. I'll give this one, and I'll give that doll, but I don't want to give this one. That's my favorite. <laughs> Isn't that funny, though, sometimes how God can really 
test our hearts on this. What? You want me to give that? So uh, I thought that was funny. But growing up, uh, I didn't grow up. Uh, I left my denomination I grew up in. I wasn't sure where I was going to end up. I definitely didn't feel like I was going to end up in a Presbyterian church, to tell you that. <laughs> I have people make fun of me still at home. You left our denomination to go to a Presbyterian church? I thought you wanted to go into a more charismatic thing. I said, I, I did. But, uh, <laughs> but God puts you where he puts you. And our church is definitely more charismatic. Praise God. But um, I didn't know where I fit. I didn't know where I belonged. And I started going to a Word of Faith church in Boone. And uh, they taught a lot about money. In fact, every, every Sunday after the worship time, they'd have a whole teaching on money for 15, 20 minutes. And then, then they'd have a little break, and then they'd, he'd preach again on something else. And so uh, I remember bringing a guest one time, and they thought when he finished his offering teaching that the service was over. Like, oh, no, he's just getting warmed up. <laughs> but... Uh, so there was probably some stuff they taught was out of balance, but for the most part, a lot of things that the, the, the pastor was teaching was really good things that I hadn't heard it before. Because a lot of churches avoid this topic because people can get offended. People can think the pastor's being money-hungry or greedy or whatever. And, um, he, but he taught on it a lot. So we started learning principles of sowing and principles of reaping. And, but again, I was giving out of fear, not out of love, because I didn't know the love of God like I do today. I mean, I'm totally, totally different than I was back then. Thank you, Jesus. But anyway, um, we gave to, we sowed seeds into some Christian universities for when our kids were old enough to go to college, that we'd reap a harvest, that we could have some financial help when it's time for them to go to school. And praise God, we're seeing some of that now. We uh, gave to some TV preachers that blessed us. We liked their message. We gave to worth some hospital bills and uh, clothes, dishes, computers, projectors. We gave for bills, let's go spend. <laughs> there wasn't much for savings, praise God. But, but anyway, we spent it. We, we gave it. We gave stuff away. But we weren't seeing uh, that good 30, 60, 100-fold return, which the pastor or whatever always would declare, you know, 30, 60, 100-fold, press down, shaking together, running over. And I'm saying it half mockingly, but that is the Scripture, right? But the problem wasn't with the Scripture. The problem was you can't just give and not have the other ducks in a row, if you will, like I covered last. So God started speaking to me and talking to me about my motives for giving. You're giving out of fear. Well, yeah, I'm afraid. You said you're going to rebuke the devourer, and I'm under a curse. So yeah, I'm going to get a, who wouldn't be afraid of that? So that's the tithe. He goes, no, I'm talking about your offerings. You're giving out of fear. And I, I didn't even want to do with it because I didn't have a sozo thing. I didn't have to do sozo on myself or on anybody else at that time. I, I got that information, but didn't know what even to do with it. But God started speaking to me, and he told me, I want you to stop giving offerings for, for a season. I was like, I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> I thought it was the devil, you know. And uh, I asked a good pastor friend of mine, and uh, he goes, Ryan, I don't think it is the devil. I think it's really God speaking to you. that He wants you just for a season to stop giving offerings and just start seeing, like, uh, you know, what he's saying to you about it. So we did for a season. We stopped for a while not giving anything but our, our tithes and offerings. And uh, I didn't know what really I was, where we were going with this. I didn't know what God was going to show me. But over time, he started to show me uh, his love and give for the sake of love, not giving to get. God's going to make things. He's going to multiply the seed. He's going to multiply what you give. But he really wants to multiply the love of God in your heart. He really wants that love to overflow. So you can, you can give it with joy and generosity, not like, well, I guess I had to give this guy this. Gosh, I don't want to do that. I wanted that. I just, you know how hard I worked for that? It took me five years to get, get enough money to get that. And that's your heart. You need to keep it. You need to hold on to that offering, I'm telling you, until it's time. Until you can give it with joy. All right? Uh, there, God can work. There's, ask God, why do I feel this way? 
That's really the issue here, right? Not more than the money is why do I feel this way? You can't take it with you, right? <laughs> You're not bringing it to heaven, and you don't need it there. So, um, so I started praying because I went through a season uh, uh, before the, we stopped giving our offerings where it was a big focus on preachers, and I'm not saying anything bad about them because I, I told you uh, last week, I think, that what if, or maybe a few weeks ago, what if, what if they're talking so much about money because the other pastors won't? And what if I asked you to talk about money for every Sunday for a season? Would you do it? Like, oh gosh, I hope you don't do that. Because <laughs> what is it? It's fear of what people will think. And uh, some of them were probably off balance. Some, a lot of them were not. But I asked God, where is the balance in the prosperity message? Because I clearly showed you from Scripture, not just last Sunday, but other Sundays, that God wants you blessed. Amen? He, you are blessed to what others do because it worked for them or it sounded like a good idea. So they copy without truly being led by the Lord. This is laziness and presumption on their part, not faith. The one who heard me and obeyed was blessed. That was in Sapphira. They copied what everyone else was doing. Everyone else was giving their property, giving their houses, giving it to the disciples to distribute the money as they wanted to. And no one asked them to do that. There's no record that God told them to do it. There's no record that God didn't tell them to do it either. But, uh, but for whatever reason, they, I think they wanted to copy what they saw everyone else was doing, seeing the blessing and the joy they had in giving, how it was blessing the community. They said there was no lack in their community. No lack. That's awesome. And, uh, but they lied to Peter about how much they sold it for and gave a portion. They kept a portion. There wouldn't have been anything wrong with that if they would have told Peter how much they really sold it for. But we, we've, we need to keep this portion for our family. But they lied to the Holy Spirit, it says, and they lied to Peter, and both of them dropped down dead. Now, I know that is extreme case. It's the only case like that in the Bible. But the point is, God wants you to be led by the Spirit when you give. Not led by what someone else did. Not copy because you think it's a good idea. Or this worked in their life. I'm going to make it work in my life. God doesn't work that way. In anything. Like he, if, copying doesn't work. It's hearing the voice of God. Man doesn't live on bread alone. But every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What might work for you might not work for somebody else. I'm going to mention this tonight. But some of the ideas God comes up with as solutions are absolutely in the natural. They're absolutely crazy. There's no way... Doing these things should fix a problem. But when you do it and God says to do it, it fixes the problem. Like throwing a, a stick into the water, it was bitter. <laughs> you know, what's that going to do? <laughs> right? But if God told you to do it, it will work. Amen? All right, going back to our main text, 2 Corinthians 9.7. I'm going to read this one to you from the Amplified. Let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose. He delights in it grudgingly. We don't give under compulsion. Unto it until you've heard God. Okay, hold on to it. All right, if, uh, and when we do give, we give thoughtfully. We give with purpose. We can, uh, we can give what our hearts have decided to give, which means you've thought about it ahead of time. you prayed about it ahead of time. I, like Debbie can say, Terry, I really feel we should give this much to Mark and Laura or something. What do you think? And they decide on it, and they, and they do it or whatever. You know? It's not just like Mark and Laura come to them, hey, I need this much money, give it to me. You know, that, that wouldn't work, right? But when God speaks it to them, I hope that was a good example. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like if, if, if it's pressure, it's not good. But if you talk about it ahead of time and you decide in your heart, you can purpose what you decided to give. It's not necessarily always even led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's saying that it's decided by the person. Let's do this. And you decide to do it. So we give joyfully and cheerfully. And we give, we give to the Lord. Amen. See, when you give it to your neighbor or someone that you know, a family member, you're really giving it to the Lord. So... Um, I want to show you, with the time we have left, why giving is so important to God. 
Okay, and why giving is so important to God is because there's types and there's types and shadows of our offerings and uh, our gifts. There are types and shadows of Christ. Our gifts are types and shadows of Christ. I'm going to show you this. First Corinthians 15, starting with verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits is the tithe. It's, it's uh, when they had the harvest, the first fruits are what belonged to God. So when it's talking about first fruits here, it's talking about our tithe. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in, all, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all should be made alive. But each one in his own turn, in his own order. Christ the first fruits, and Christ's harvest is us. Our resurrection from the dead is Christ's harvest. Amen. He was the tithe and we're his harvest. Amen. Remember he said, he said the harvest field is, is full, it's plentiful, it's ripe, it's ready. When he gave himself, he sowed that his seed into the ground, but to say that kernel of wheat would die, so he would raise up a harvest. He was talking about us, praise God. So that tithe of Jesus' body was us. So when we tithe, it's a type and shadow of giving back to God, just like God, he gave for us. Amen. Uh, it says in Romans eleven sixteen. If part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Holy moly, you're holy. <laughs> you see that? If the first fruit, Jesus, was holy, if the batch is holy, if the roots are holy, then you are holy. The branches are holy. Come on, somebody. Believe the word. All right? If you don't believe your feelings or emotions, you're never going to feel holy. I'm telling you, the Word of God says you're holy because He's holy, and the first batch was holy, you're holy. Amen? So turn to your neighbor and say, I'm holy. I'm not talking about your genes, okay? Uh, you're holy. You're righteous. You're sanctified, set apart, uh, holy unto God. Amen? So Jesus, our tithe, made, made us holy by the sacrifice of Himself. You didn't make yourself holy, and you can't. Jesus made you holy. They had the burnt offering... The grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. Those are all in Leviticus 1 through 5. And all of these, just like the tithe, are also types and shadows of Christ. Everything in the Old Testament is a type and shadow of Christ. It's all pointing to Christ. I want to show you these because I think they're really, really cool. Uh, the burnt offering, this is the only offering that was totally consumed on the altar by fire. No man were allowed to eat any of this one. It was, cons it was totally burnt. It was, uh, all of it was burnt. And if you remember, when the offering was, this offering was given, the priest was required to wash. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When that, that whole thing was consumed, so you, could be, uh, you can be totally clean by him. All, the sacrifice was totally consumed, so all the sin, all the guilt, all the stuff, it took care of your conscience, your evil conscience, it took care of that for you. So he washed you inside and out, so you could be totally holy and righteous unto God. You have been made clean by the offering of Jesus. Amen? And that's the type there. The next one is the grain offering. This is called the most holy of all the offerings made to the Lord by fire. And this is the only offering that didn't have an animal involved in it. It was a grain offering. Generally, it was cooked bread. They were uh, baked, grilled, fried, roasted. Sometimes it was crushed down like cereal. And uh, it was always seasoned with salt. They were unsweetened, means no honey on them. And they were unleavened, means they didn't have yeast in them, which is a type of sin. This is a totally 
a symbol of the body of Christ, okay? His, his body. The grain offering was then beaten into a fine flour and cooked and then, uh, cooked in the oven, and it was broken to pieces after that. Totally represented the body of Christ that was beaten, pounded, uh, and then broken to pieces for us. So unlike the whole burnt offering, the only portion of the offering, only a portion of the offering was to be burnt, and the remainder was to be given to the priests to eat. So here we can see Christ's body beaten, crushed, broken, offered over for us. Uh, and I also see healing in this, because his body was broken so we could be healed. And salt is a natural healer. You put salt in a wound, it brings healing. I think that's a type of our healing too. So foreshadows, this foreshadows Christ as our living sacrifice, the bread of life, and a type of our communion. It's interesting, in this, in this particular offering, it's called a memorial offering. And Jesus said, take and eat this in memory of me. Okay? It's totally a, a, shadow, a type of shadow of our communion. Next one is the peace offering. The purpose of the peace offering was to have two people come together and sit down and make amends if there was conflict. They'd have a meal together and a fellowship of peace and a commitment to, for each other's future prosperity. And you remember, there was a dividing wall between us and God. It was, it was sin, right? And God came and destroyed that dividing wall. So here we see Jesus as our peace offering. He consecrated himself to the Lord and reconciled us back to the Father, purchasing us by his own blood. Okay? And uh, if you remember when Jesus was born, this glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. God made peace between Jesus, between God, Jesus made peace between God and man, between Jew and Gentile, and between man and our conscience. Okay? And it says, He Himself is our peace. And in Colossians 1.20, it says, And through Him to be reconciled to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Jesus was our peace offering. He made peace between God and man with the sacrifice of Himself. All these, all these were types and shadows of Christ, these offerings. So these first three were free will offerings. They could give them as they felt led, as they wanted to. They are all called a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. But these next two were not, uh, were not uh, free will offerings. They were required offerings. And these ones it said it did not smell good in God's nostrils or nose. So uh, the first, next one is a sin offering. And it's an offering for atonement for unintentional sin. Here the priest lays his hands on the bull or the goat, and he imparts basically the sins of himself and all the people into that animal, fully showing how when, we, when Jesus died on the cross for us, all of our sins were imparted to him, past, present, and future were imparted to him on the cross. Everything you have done, whoever will do, the last person be born, all that sin was put, imparted into him at the cross, just like it was into the bull, and there's their day. So some of the sins for which one needed atonement were not moral sins, but rather Ritual impurity, uh, ritual yeah, impurity. They touched the wrong thing. They were considered sacramentally unclean. They couldn't come into the the, um, the temple for a while. But God did away with that. Amen. Usually, when you touch something unclean, you became unclean. You totally clean. In uh, Hebrews nine eight says the Holy Spirit indicated this that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. That first tabernacle was still representation of cross. Let me show you in, in Hebrews nine twelve. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having attained eternal redemption for us. The old way was closed. There was a veil over it. You couldn't get into that holy place or you'd die. Now because Jesus died, we can boldly go into that place, that holy place, and we're not going to die. We're going to receive life. 
We're going to receive communion with God. We're going to fellowship with the Lord because he was our peace offering. He was our sin offering. And last but not least, he also was our guilt offering. The word guilt here isn't connected with our conscience or with our emotions. This is actually someone who was guilty for something. They did something, they were actually guilty. The purpose of this offering was to make amends for one's sin. This offering had a specific monetary value. And one who owned another on account of a debt due to a sin could repay it uh, with a ram or they could pay it back with, with silver. They could pay the money for this one. Now this made me think of a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You were bought with a price, handed down to you from our ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus was our guilt offering. We were guilty. There was nothing we could do, but we were guilty. We deserved punishment. Jesus came and died and everything else. So to summarize this, the burnt offering and the peace offering, we see uh, us being reconciled back to the Father. In the sin offering, he's our forgiveness. In the, guilt off, in, in the guilt offering, Jesus paid our ransom. And, and Jesus is our tithe, he, and his harvest is our resurrection. So why is these, our gifts, our tithes and offerings so important to God? Because they're types and shadows of Christ. So when you give, don't give under compulsion. Don't give under guilt chips. I don't care if you hear the best sermon you've ever heard in your life, and they're, all the hype in the world. You can hear God yourself. Take care of your stingy heart if that's an issue and go back and pray. Listen to God and come together if you're married in agreement and you, you sow that seed in the ground and God will cause that seed to be multiplied back to you so you have more bread to eat and more seed to sow. Amen? So I, that's why I think our gifts and our offerings are so important to God because it is a type of Christ. They're holy unto the Lord. Amen? Amen. Will you guys will stand. I'm going to bless you and dismiss you. So if you are not tithing, pray and talk to God about it. That, that one is, uh, that one is um, the easiest one of all. It's simple math. <laughs> you just do the 10%. Anyone can figure that out. The offering is a little more tricky sometimes. So take it patiently. Make sure your heart's right, ready that your heart's in the gift, and then give. Not with a motivation to get, because you, but, 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 you, but expect you will get. And it won't necessarily be... Uh, right away it could be the next day it could be that day it could be years from now but at the same time you're giving it to the lord and you release him he's the lord of the harvest and he can bring that harvest to you in due season all right so god i thank you for your word i think it is your desire to bless us and it is your desire for us to give to your people to give to those needy to give to missionaries and all kinds of good parachurch ministries and other things god and god i thank you that uh, when we give we're giving it not to them we're giving it to you. And you multiply the seed that was sown. So we have more seed to sow next time. And uh, God, I thank you for dealing with our hearts in the area of giving. I pray you protect us all from being stingy or greedy or fearful.